You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that isn't supposed to reveal that Chris is just Garrett in a mask. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, <laughs> and with me is... Uh, Matt Marcus. And I'm apparently Chris, who is Garrett in a mask. That is extremely rude to Garrett. Hey, I had to come up with something this week that didn't involve uh, cutting everyone's clothes off. Y- yeah. Because today we're talking about The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, episodes three and four. Please note content warnings for today's batch include sexual assault and harassment, child endangerment, and royals. But... We begin with episode three, The Lady and the Samurai, and a scene that is all grayscale, a graveyard in the rain. Some of the background looks like wood cuttings. As the lone figure, a swordsman in a hat, walks away, we see the stone he was in front of simply reads, Here lies Goemon Ishikawa. And then after the title, he's taking on the perfect job for a novice hitman looking to make uh, his, his balls. Is that what they say? That is a that is a quote I had to go back twice and listen to, but it's so striking. <laughs> I must not have just noticed that the first time, but I, wonder, I guess that's I what that's they say. The subs. Are you listening to the dub? No, I am watching the sub with the subtitles. That may be a localization quirk then. Oh. I think so, because I don't remember balls. It's such a good line from that sleazy little thumb of a man that I had to put it in. It is a very good line. I should I should put on the dub for one of these, but the opening just sounds immediately better in the sub. <laughs> and this job uh, is an assassination of a king from a small country only notable for its casinos and tourism. In Lupin World, there are a lot of small countries infamous for casinos and or kings ripe for the taking. I mean, like, I'm trying to think, isn't this like Montenegro or I'm trying to this is where I'm like my, my knowledge of European uh, countries is they a little give limited, it but like, a I feel like fake like, name Monaco. Hmm. No, I'm trying to think of like the real equivalent of this, the real world, because like, this exists. This is a real thing. Well, she's playing Maria from The Sound of Music, so... <laughs> she really is! Oh, God, that is <laughs> what it is. That is exactly the vibe. Uh, th- th- well, a bit Sound of Music, a bit The King and I. Mm, yeah, yeah. As I was say, they, there's no Nazis in this one, so... They call it <laughs> Astria. A... <laughs> oh, yep, 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 yep. But... Elsewhere in the city, a museum exhibit is being changed out. So Fuchiko is casing the joint in a disguise. As we mentioned, she looks like the woman from The Sound of Music. So short, cropped, blonde hair. Very prim and proper. She's even going by Fraulein Maria. (laughs) Just to make it obvious. But a bunch of kids are wandering through from a school and... uh, these kids are annoying (laughs) i mean they are realistically kids like they're singing stupid songs to themselves that make no sense oh i'm i'm cutting in some of the dub just so people can hear this whole chorus in this scene Hey, look, it's a 
Oh, oh it's got to be way worse in the dub. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. Is it's not great think, in the sub either. I didn't think they were that bad in the sub, but maybe maybe the dub turns it up a couple more notches. Oh, this museum scene is the worst of it. After this, they're kind of just backgrounded in the room at any given time, but when they're the focus mm-hmm. for a minute or so. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not nearly as grating in Japanese, but it like, extremely annoying little kids shit. Like, it, they do a good job of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- they look like they're five or six tops. Yeah, they're pretty young. But they do, as they are going through the museum, uh, focus on a painting of a samurai. And this is where, at least in the dub, they're just going to say samurai friendo a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, it's it's German again in samurai freund, I believe is what they keep saying. And it actually causes Goemon to go, I do not know what this word means. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it's supposed to be like a false cognate, I guess, or something like that. Like, it's not supposed to be like literally samurai Fred, I think. I don't know. It's also incredibly funny because it does raise the question. He hears one German word while he's here. So he's able to speak the local language enough to hold conversations, but he doesn't know a single phrase of German. It's one of those things you don't think about it too hard. I know. It's just incredibly <laughs> funny that that comes up in such a way. It's part of his samurai superpower. Just put put in that one scene in Birdie Wing. You know the one. <laughs> <laughs> if that were dubbed, that would be a clip that I put in so many shows. Uh, it should get dubbed at some point. That would be incredible. But for those who are unaware, there is a point in Birdie Wing where someone just goes, You're speaking Japanese? And the main character goes, oh, yeah, I guess I am. Huh. And never dwells on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's supposed to be from, like, France. <laughs> it just doesn't does does not like I, I mean, that may be plot important later. We don't know yet, but it's just the most hilarious. Like, yeah, we're just going to hand wave this and we're just going to like lamp, not even bother lampshading it. So we are now all bound on a train for Astria which is definitely not the King and I land. As the train pulls out, there's a really nice effect on the smoke from the smokestack. That's It's stylish. That's a candidate for possible episode art this time, but I don't know if it would work as well when not in motion. That's fair. It is. I mean, the show just continues to just look sick throughout. Um, and yeah. then the people on the train are, are quite the wild bunch. It's kind of just a smorgasbord of every every NPC character, more or less. <laughs> um, Goemon leaps down onto the roof of the moving train in order to get closer to the car without dealing with guards. And um, we learn here that uh, these children are the grandchildren of the king. And elsewhere, we find out that the crown prince, the original crown prince, is dead. And uh, they're not going to choose any of the women in the family in order to uh, rise to the throne because, you know, sexism. So instead, it's the grandson, Marco, one of the little kids, who is now the successor to the crown. Uh, The princess's husband has plans of his own, and he's very vocal about not babysitting those brats. Uh, This guy fucking sucks so hard. (laughs) I know he's meant to. 
We will find out his name later. He is... I didn't write his name down. I just called him the Baron the entire time. Good job, me. (laughs) (laughs) He's the only Baron in the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Marco, the youngest crown prince, has uh, come back from one of the dining cars with ice cream for him and his friends, and then he slams it into Goemon's tunic. And Goemon immediately goes, Ugh, too soft. We think it means Marco. It does not. But this leads to Fraulein Maria washing his garments as, uh, you know, an apology. And they discuss that the parents of these children, the prince and princess, were killed in a car accident, which is why she is here to watch over everyone. So after he's redressed and everything, Goemon comes out and he makes the boy promise, man to man, never to cry over ice cream. And because the boy is an incredible weeb and fetishizes samurai to an amazing degree, he says (laughs) he won't. Damn, he's just like me, for real. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, so the funny thing about the ice cream is that he gets it, he like takes it and with his thumb, he puts it on his nose for no reason. And then he eats it off of his nose, which is also weird and gross. Well, he's also trying to quickly disarm everyone drawing attention to himself, an assassin, by just making a joke out of it. Yeah, like, it's hard for me to tell that it's a joke. He just seems like a weirdo to me. (laughs) It makes more sense given that he is cagey about who he is and explains himself as a traveling entertainer. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. they're asking, hey, why are you dressed like a samurai and why do you have a sword? And so he takes a tea tray, flips it into the air, quickly carves a rabbit out of it with his blade, and then everything lands in the kid's hand safely with the tea in one piece. Yeah, it looks pretty sick. It is pretty sick. Um, After that, we head um, to the king again and discover the papers um, discussing the baron um, as the attend um, heir in gossip. So there's a whole, like, the whole political thing's there. It's in, like, a newspaper or whatnot. Uh, Goemon uh, curses himself for cutting, quote, a worthless object and calls himself too soft and calls off a number attempt on the king's life when the children approach him. While we're here, Sybil, you might know, is this mm-hmm. too soft thing? Is that is this a Lupin thing? Is this a thing I'm supposed to understand? Is that uh, his thing? It's a bit of a thing. Too soft, I don't recall being a thing much in later works. Again, remember, this is supposed to be, like, prequel everyone, but uh, the worthless object bit is a tick of his because he has a blade that can cut literally anything, so he tries not to use it on, you know, anything like cutting people's clothes, cutting a rabbit out of a tea tray. It's very much, ugh, I am wasting this talent. I am a terrible samurai. Gotcha. Um, so during this, he calls off his attempt afterwards on the king's life when the children approach him. Um, after that, he dirties his clothing again because he like goes on top of the train to do it. And then when he calls off like the attack, is this the part where like he's going through the tunnel and then he cuts the tunnel? Because that's the quicker result. Yeah. Yeah, that's this this part. 
Yep. But it means he gets covered in coal dust as all of the stuff is blowing back onto him. Right. And then he finds himself uh, uh, linked with and falling for uh, Maria. As she washes his clothes a second time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do have to say that they did miss a trick by not animating him cutting the, you know, the top of the um, of the tunnel. Like that would have been a really cool place to put some budget behind this that they just kind of cut away. You, you hear the sound and you see that like a static shot of the tunnel and now it's got a huge chunk cut out of it. Uh, but, you know, what can you do? I feel like given this show's budget, we would all be underwhelmed by it because you're asking for a scene where the train, Goemon, and maybe the tunnel are moving with smoke in the way. Yeah, and I guess like a lot of the cool stuff happens where there's no light because it's like inside the tunnel. So it'd be hard to make that look cool. Yeah, I, anyway. I get the shortcut. Yeah. So as the train stops at a station, someone snaps the coal man's neck. Ooh. <laughs> and then the conductors. So bad news. And the man who does it is the one who hired Goemon for the assassination. Uh, he's decided to tie up all of the loose ends, which includes the assassin uh, by killing off the king and the assassin in one move. And then we go to our eye catch uh, on the way out. We see a picture of Fujiko holding like her hand holding a toy train and coming back. We see Goemon's hand sort of as he's drawing out his blade. Looks cool. I, I'm going to keep calling these out because they are mm -hmm. lovely pieces of art. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're really nice. Yeah, I, I, I could imagine like taking these if you, if you could get a clean version of them uh, and like putting them into like not like a triptych or like, you know, like multiple multiple pieces on on a wall altogether collage but like in separate no no you could collage it i was thinking like separate frames gotcha yeah honestly they would be getting the sketches from these they would be some art to hang especially if you could get them sans logo yeah yeah that's the, that's the thing having the logo on all of them is kind of like the thing cuz you know like if you had if you had just one maybe that would look cool but if you had like 10 of them they all say loop in the third on them it's just like okay this looks a little silly but when we return from commercial the train is now speeding out of control and people have noticed as it blows past a station so goemon reveals himself to the king and their council while the news spreads and telling them he knows what's going on but he does this by saying hey i'm supposed to kill you and this gets all of the guards to go off and start firing on him. So he does what any samurai would do, blow up a man's <laughs> clothing to prove that he has no lethal intent and disarm the whole room, slicing away every bullet without harming a single person. This means the king goes, stop firing, and he explains the plot thus far. With his logic being, well, since they broke the contract by trying to murder me, I no longer have any reason to keep going after your life. You, you know, rip to all the people in the car behind Goemon, right? Because all those bullets get cut in half, but <laughs> they're still going forward. No, no, it's fine. Like, uh, like physics and stuff, slicing the bullet slows it down, and then it just immediately <laughs> falls to the ground or whatever. I yeah, think it depends on whether he is facing 
the direction the train is moving, where it's going to give them <laughs> less physics, or the one against it, in which case, yeah, you've probably killed someone. Uh-huh, sure. No, totally checks out. Um, after this uh, plot dump, the order is given to uh, move the children and Maria to the rear car, because, um, as mentioned, the plan is to sever the engine from the train to slow the vehicle. Um, Goemon finds uh, Maria uh, heading forwards, and it is explained that Marco has gone to try to save the samurai painting, because it was his father's favorite. So, multiple generations of weeb. Yeah. So everyone heads to the rear of the train, and Maria says that she needs everyone's belts in order to keep people safe, specifically the kids, and uh, begins strapping the, the three kids to the seat with, like, multiple belts tied together. Uh, so the cargo car is where the slice is made, and so that the engine plus all of the national treasures go careening off a cliff, exploding. And, uh, okay, you didn't need to cut that car? Like, you could have just cut the engine. I don't know why. I mean, I know for dramatic reasons we want all of the paintings to be destroyed and whatever. Uh, it just feels really silly that it seems like no one goes, but why, though? Yeah, they probably could have gone one further, but also I do get the logic a little since that seems to be the heaviest car and that might have mm -hmm. kept the inertia on things or risked pulling them over the edge. Yeah, or they could have done like multiple cuts, I guess, just to like take off the heavy thing, but have it be loose. But anyway, oh, so one of the things that happens in the belt scene, I, I don't know if it's called out here. Uh, so Maria, Maria, quote unquote, uh, isn't able to get the belt across all three kids, like basically going across the entire seat. And the king walks by and says, Oh, why don't you use this super cool belt that I have to to make it happen? And you go, oh, this plot important thing. It's got like a big ass belt buckle on it with a like a huge engraving. Yeah, it is a gold frame with an ivory engraving. Speaking of national treasures. Yeah, yeah. But Maria takes that belt and uses that to help restrain the kids. Yeah, I think at some point earlier in the episode as well, like there's like an eye catch that shows the belt at some point. Yeah, it's probably it's something he wears all the time. It's part of his like regular outfit. We just don't see him standing much. He's behind a desk no. on a lot of this train. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, there's the sick bit after Goemon cuts off um the the engine car. He does like the slice and makes a circle underneath oh, him yeah. to just fall back through. Yep, 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 yep. Maybe think of Goldeneye and the the laser cutter and in, in his Omega Watch. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the passengers all disembark safely, and they're all on like the side of a cliff. And Maria mourns the treasures, but she's glad that the children are all right. At the edge of this field, Goemon is talking with the king, and refuses to say goodbye to the children, heading off into the shadows of the tunnel. A helicopter arrives with the Baron and his wife to pick up the royals, and he's already disappointed to see that everyone is alive. Meanwhile, Goemon has left the suitcase of his payment sliced into ribbons where the Baron can find it, 
And this is where he and his conspirator are arrested because Goemon has ratted them out. Yeah, and I, I think we were meant to assume that he also uh, killed the crown prince. It seems uh, very likely, given that yeah. they mention both of the parents died in an auto accident. Oh, interesting. Because I was going to ask, does Goemon actually kill anybody? Because he didn't really kill anybody. On nope. screen, at least. He did not. Not in this episode at all. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was going to be a thing where, like, for his honor as a samurai, for some reason, he does not murder because it's unworthy of his blade to murder. Goemon will kill, but generally they prefer to use a disarming rather than having him straight up slice a man in half. Gotcha. Usually they have to give you a villain who is Goemon themed to justify it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he'd be too OP otherwise, right? Like, he would just That's murder true. everyone. It, w- it would be like, <laughs> things would get real dire real fast. That's true. You wouldn't get your antics otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it like also this, does depend on which type of Lupin. Like, the this antics that he gets up to uh, later on at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, so... So, so after um, the co-conspirator and such were arrested, um, we cut back to uh, Fujiko, who is um, leaving in the middle of the night um, from her, you know, appointed Maria job, and uh, whispers to the boy to uh, become a good king. And um, as she leaves, uh, Goemon is waiting on the rooftop, and um, we were almost through. An entire episode. I know. <laughs> we were so close. I was so uh-huh. on board with this episode. But um, but then Goemon uh, cuts her way all of Fujiko's clothes, leaving her nude, minus um, the belt that she stole from uh, the king, which she comments that is uh, treasure enough and or that it was just her plan the entire time. So she wanted to take as many of the things from the car as possible, but this is treasure enough. And she's, she kind of pisses him off, which is why he does this, because he's talking about, this is, why are you leaving in the middle of the night? I'm an assassin, but you're a great governess and all those children are safe. And she's like, yeah, the children are safe, but we lost all the treasures. Yeah, he doesn't like that she's a thief because... Thieves don't have honor, I guess. But assassins <laughs> At least do. Not in his mind. <laughs> you know. I mean, you this know, was his only standards. assassin job, and then he goes a different path to become a thief. He's not the thief. He's just the muscle. Yeah, yeah. I definitely also had the same reaction of, "Damn, we were so close to having an an episode where <laughs> like, Fujiko wasn't like sexualized that much." Or at all. And it's like, ah, like for a while I was betting like she's blowing the king, right? Like when we're not looking, she's blowing the king. Are we going to see her blowing the king? Oh, no, we're not going to see her blowing anyone. Wow. That's a that's pretty good for the. ah. Well, there's her tits. (laughs) So close. (sighs) I mean, I get it. That's the character. But anyway. So. It, it's very clear that Goemon is still, like, really into her, and she knows this, and she steals a kiss from him, 
Yeah, and he's he's trying to say something. Uh, th- so this comes off very differently in the sub versus the dub because in the sub he's trying to say that hey, if you come with me, you'll you'll be a, a true something, and like he can't finish the sentence. Yeah, he can't. And, he can't as well in the dub until she's gone. Right, right. But in the in the Japanese, he said you you wouldn't basically become a true girlfriend. <laughs> gotcha. Instead of gaining a true boyfriend. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, that it, it does read a little differently. Not I mean, it's the same idea. But the funny thing is just the idea of using girlfriend or boyfriend in this context feels real goofy. <laughs> like I would have just gone with like a true lover or something, something that has a little bit more vibe to it than than boyfriend or girlfriend. But yeah, Goemon's basically completely failing to have any charisma when it comes to women. Uh, apparently, that's a thing with this character. Is that true? Um, he's meant to be a contrast to Jigen, who is very against right. working with women, whereas Goemon is smooth and respectful and honorable around a lady. But anyway, she jumps off the wall that they're standing on and right onto a bike. You know, she's still nude except for the belt around her waist, and she just drives off into the night. And Goemon flees into the forest as guards spot him and start shooting at him. So he's like, oh, I gotta get the fuck out of here. And that is the end of the episode. But with that, we go into episode four. Visi the art, visi the amor. Or I lived for art, I lived for love. Our opening is the lighting of a lantern in catacombs with opera music playing as we see a masked figure in robes move through, then lift the mask to show a void. And smash cut to silhouettes of Fujiko fucking... Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't right to it. Yeah, we don't make it too far into this episode before we start sexualizing Fujiko, unlike the last episode. Um <laughs> So I guess to explain it, there's a series of arrows showing where the man goes in kind of this pseudo psychedelic experience yeah. so well, they're, they're, they're the male symbol right the circle with the they arrow. are yeah it's because yeah. if we drew the man here this would be porn but by <laughs> just drawing where <laughs> he is we get away with this for tv it's pretty spicy yeah sure that's how it works yeah so then um we cut to see um two cops watching through the keyhole of the room um, you know, being two male cops about it. <laughs> and um Officer uh, uh Femagata or <laughs> Lieutenant Oscar uh comes up and catches them going, What the fuck are you doing? Don't you should not be watching this. Do do your job or I will murder you, as he then like proceeds to half choke one of these guys to death, lifting him with a single hand. It's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah it's pretty extreme and and we we find out exactly why oscar is so worked up because for one thing this is actually the interrogation room and the person she's actually fucking is zenigata (laughs) the the police chief so so somebody a little jealous anyway uh so it seems to be implied here that Fujiko was caught thieving and she slept with Zenigata to kind of get out of her situation. Is that the read y'all got on this? 
that is the read that I got. She's okay. trying that to get released, and Zenigat is like, what? No, this is just so I don't throw you in a cell forever. We're going to make a deal. <laughs> the sex was nice, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Ugh. Um, ugh. Like, the thing is, uh, this actually gets worse later on in the episode. It <laughs> like, sure it's does. It's bad now. It's it just uh, the context around it. I'm but. not going to lie. While I'm glad it's not his character 24-7, I think Origin Zenigata being an absolute scumbag instead of the bumbling comedic foil is a very interesting take for this rougher origin for everyone. No, like, mm-hmm. I, I, I get I get that part, but it still could have been turned down. Like, I, I'm for, like, the Zenigawa who doesn't really care except for, like, catching Lupin and is gonna, like, break the laws to, to do that. You know, so there's just some other the, the, parts we could have been without. Well, I mean, you could have also, I mean, you could say that this is, you know, Fujiko's plan A all the time is fuck her way out of the situation. And you could say that, you know, she took the lead on that and was hoping to get something out of it. And he just took advantage of the fact that, oh, I still have power in this situation. So sure, I'll take that. But also I'm going to get something out of it that I really want. <laughs> but then Zenigawa, uh, Zenigata keeps making it worse. <laughs> I would be it. more upset by it if it weren't for the incredible barbed dialogue they trade about this later in the episode. Oh, that's what I mean. Like, there's a lot of moments in which this gets, like, uh, very judgmental. <laughs> Let's just say. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, between Zenigata. No, no. Um, Oscar fucking hates this. No, yeah, Oscar hates yeah. this, but also Zenigata is is also bad. They're both bad. Uh, Zenigata's so, catty. Oscar is a real bitch. That's true. That's totally true. So apparently there's this opera singer named Ion Mayer. And, uh, Ion uh, Mayer. They pronounce it Ion as Mayer. Ion, even though it's spelled very strangely in the localization. It's okay. I, uh, I'll remember. Ion, like Ion Storm. <laughs> Ion Mayer is an opera singer. And uh, she performs with a mask on because the Phantom of the Opera. No, I mean, she got two faced with acid is the other way we could describe this. Basically, her, she's disfigured. She wears a mask. And the mask is this extremely ornate gold mask with a ton of jewels on it. Like they say it's like worth the GDP of a small country level expensive, which is absolutely wild i feel like there's a lot of those in the lupin world though mm-hmm. oh yeah but you think of like gdp of a car, that's that's gotta be like in the billions uh, <laughs> uh a like, small country could be high millions okay 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 see that, i mean that i could understand but anyway it's just like okay this thing is, this thing is like okay this is we're gonna try to steal this this is what we're talking about i understand and, how it could be worth that much solely because the gold, okay, it's a thick gold mask, but sure. those gems are massive. There's only oh, nine absolutely. on the thing, and they are all, like, the size of a baby's fist at minimum. And it's owned and associated with a very famous person, so that adds uh, provenance mm-hmm. value to it. But anyway, especially for, like, operas, an opera singer and rich people love opera, you know? 
So like you put this in an auction, yeah, it'd go bananas. But anyway, Zenigata reveals that here's my deal. Like here's here's what I'm actually want out of you. <laughs> uh, Lupin has sent a note saying sometime during the performance at the Palace Grignard. Is that how you say that? Palace Grignard. Grignard. It's French. Forgive me. I can't speak French. I'm going to steal the mask. Yeah, that, that's my plan. You know, come catch me. Yep. And so when she leaves, Oscar is uh, pretty pissed about this, going, we cannot trust this woman as far as we can throw her. And Zenigata's like, well, yeah, no, she's definitely going to be trying to weasel out of this. We just want her to be the thorn in Lupin's side that will net us both. <laughs> and and he says this while, like, putting his pants on. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Scumbag <Ugh>. Zenigata. <laughs> this is so gross. And he's, like, not, not a good-looking dude. Like, this is a gross, scummy-looking guy to begin with. Let's be real. Everyone who is not Lupin out of the recurring characters is drawn much rougher than usual because they're based on the manga designs. And this Senegata is lumpy. Yeah. That, that's a good word for it. Yeah, he's Jigen last week was very pointy. They made his beard more angular. Goemon, he's not... It's very hard to say he's feminine when we have Oscar in this series. But <laughs> yeah, it's true. he's... He's a more slender build. You might put him just past Twink in terms of design. Just a very straightforward frame in a samurai outfit doing most of the design work. And then, meanwhile, there's Zenigata, who looks like if you took this design just a little further, he would be tumorous. You know, just past Twink is definitely a memoir title. I just want to know what, what like, that scale is. Like, I, I, look, I, I couldn't tell you for who, but it just... I mean, Twink, Twunk, Daddy, like, there's, there's a whole thing we could go down. Let's also not get into Otter versus Seal versus... Mm -hmm, if we mm -hmm. start doing the gay animals chart, we're going to be here all day. I mean, I, I'm just imagining that, uh, like, sniper rifle meme or whatever it was. Ha! <laughs> Because I definitely saw a version, like a lesbian version of that once, and I'm like, yeah, th this could get applied to a lot of things. It's true, especially now that there are so many lesbian anime per season, which, queer bait or not, are definitely running the gamut of different ways they can be action killers. Oh, you're talking about Licorice Recoil. <laughs> or Birdie Wing, or... Oh, you know, Birdie Wing, yeah. I was going to say, like, Birdie Wing, I don't know if you could even call that bait at this point. <laughs> Well, yeah, that one's not bait. Some of the other series yeah. are like, hey, whatever, it's a tease. But, you know, you can make fan works. <laughs> and, and there will be, and there is. Anyway, hard cut back to the episode with the smuggest man in the building explaining how complex the palace layout is. Also, there are beehives on the roof, which they use to make a honey because reason that I forgot. They sell There's it. There's no reason yeah. <laughs> other than money. Yeah, yeah that's fair. It's opera honey. <laughs> yeah, the opera, you know, like it helps the bees produce a richer honey or something. Mm -hmm. I've heard weirder justifications for things you can do for organic food. 
That's true. Like th there was like the playing the music for the plants and stuff. I had a coworker who was just really upset the other day about the concept of organic as a label, which turned into a how much do you trust the government Sybil rant. And it's like, oh, no, what? How, where did this come from? Like, well, well, uh, I mean, I guess, OK, because there's probably some regulation as to say what can be labeled organic or not. But still, that's not the thing. That's not the issue. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, well, who who puts the label of organic? And I was like, the Food and Drug Administration. Oh, and you're going to just believe the government? It's like, yeah, I think they inspect things. I trust the FDA pretty regularly. Do I think they can fuck up on the drug side? Definitely. Do I trust them to make sure that I'm not eating a poison salad? Also, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, there's also an aqua aqueduct underneath the city that is run dry. And, of course, the backstage where a sign reads, Don't be distracted by the shadows. Um, it's a legend or superstition that the crew takes seriously because the... How do you say that word again? The, the palace? The palace. palace. The palace is uh, sentient and avenges itself. Um, so, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Ion's door has an owl logo on it, and the camera catches sight of Fujiko. Um, and then there's a shot where, um, behind the monitor is a grinning Lupin. Gross. Um, she's not then, naked. It's just like, oh, she's here. Yeah, but. But then later. <laughs> yeah, like. He doesn't. It, it, the thought isn't like that. It's it's definitely more like, oh, she's here. He, he he's horny over it. It may not be horny to fuck, or it might be horny to fuck. It might be. He's he's just like he he's he's he gets off on the score being difficult. So this is going to make things more difficult or more interesting. It's so. true. Also that part too. Um, mm -hmm. the the cops wait in the balcony to watch uh, the performance, which is uh, Tosca. And just zooming in on this for a second, uh, Tosca is a work that also has a lot of overtones, which tie in with Fujiko's monologue in the opening. Uh, we see the close of Act 1 and then a quote-unquote improvised Act 2 throughout the episode, in which the two lovers are split apart and tormented by the authorities, one being innocent, one being less so, but both punished far beyond their crimes. I could not spend the time to dig into a full script of the play and give you a whole deeper detail, but that was just the thematic overview I got based on what we saw in the episode. Mm -hmm. And for what it's worth, they are actually singing uh, different pieces of the opera itself. In the middle of this act two, act a one. horse... Sorry, well... Does this happen during Act One? Or this is, is Act One. Act two, this okay? Because I thought act, things get Act prepared. One, I believe, is like what happens like in the play, and then like yes. Act Two is yeah. like a metaphor for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. So in the, in the middle of the performance, uh, you know, there's a woman on stage and she's acting and shit, and someone in a horse costume, one of those really goofy, like usually are two people horse costumes, come in with like there's the two halves, comes in. Uh, things get a little weird as the horse kidnaps the actress, and it turns out that the person inside has a very familiar voice. And it turns out also that the actress is Fujiko in disguise, 
And Lupin comes out of the horse costume and just begins groping her. Thanks, I hate it. Gross. Uh, I don't know why this needed to happen, but gross. Okay, I was going to save this for later in the series, but basically we have to start doing a discussion of jacket theory about Lupin. I'll bring that up next time because I don't have all the notes. Uh, Specifically, one of them is more of a goofy, fun-loving, you're-never-gonna-see-anything-terrible type. One of them is like, People can die in my heists and I don't care. I fuck and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Et cetera, oh, et cetera. I think there's the, three different types. Right. This is the theory where, like, the tone of Lupin can be extrapolated from what color jacket he is yep. wearing. Okay. Ha. Huh. It's an actual thing they keep consistent through adaptations. Yeah. Whatever outfit he is in will tell you what kind of Lupin stories you're getting. That's fascinating. So he wears a green jacket in this one, right? Yep. Uh, so green means grope, huh? Um, I actually think that's slightly out of character. I believe it's red that's the more extreme one. But again, okay. we'll get, I might also be mixing this up, which is why I was going to do the research and pull this in later. Mm-hmm. But anyway, before anything can get worse in this moment, uh... Ion screams on stage. Sorry, Ion. Let me be clear about how I pronounce this. Ion screams on stage because someone in the rafters has released a spotlight and it in a, an appeared attempt to murder her. And instead it lands on the stage. Uh, so it seems like she was able to get away from a, a near death. And Zenigata has his man flip on the lights because uh, like there were cops everywhere. Like this is fun. This is the fucking blues brothers show. Yup. <laughs> where, like, where all the cops are just in the audience and they see a masked figure that one that we saw earlier uh, in the opening, but in a more wicked outfit this time who was up in the rafters. And it was clear that this is the person that dropped the light. And uh, the figure gets shot and falls over the edge of the rafters, but nobody seems to land. Only the cloak ends up on the stage. Uh, inside the words, Tosca belongs to me, are written in blood. Ion has a sort of panicked reaction here because she's playing the role of Tosca, but she rolls with it and keeps the performance going, acting like this is part of the play. Mm-hmm. Her co-star is a little confused by this, but uh-huh. when she starts doing their duet, he joins in. Fujiko is wrapped up in this whole drama, but she realizes a little too late. Oh, shit, Lupin got away when I wasn't looking. As the curtains close on Act 1, we actually hear the male lead go, Is that how it goes? And Ion's like, <laughs> I ad-libbed a little. You would know this! You practice this! <laughs> Why would you need to ask this question? And once the curtains are closed, she faints and men run in from offstage. Fujiko just holds where she is, confused as hell about the whole scene. Yep. And then the carpenter from earlier says that it's the ghost's work they pissed off. I did not know this man was the carpenter. I thought he was just like head back stagehand guy. This is Dorenzo. They announce him earlier in the episode when she's getting the tour 
as oh yeah, yeah that's Dorenzo. Okay. He's he's very superstitious. Yeah, I, I knew that part. Yeah, he's the one who talks about the ghost. Like and he, he's got a very distinctive look to him. Mm-hmm. He looks like an extra in a Scooby-Doo episode. Ain't nobody <laughs> here but the ghost. We all know to respect the ghost. Yeah, older fellow, big old nose. You know, I think he's got a ponytail. I think, like he wears kind of like old style ponytail or something. Yes, he yeah. he's balding up top ponytail on the sides. Then we get our eye catches for the ep- episode, which is uh, Fuchiko's hands holding a bee gently and then uh, Zenigawa holding handcuffs. Um, when we come back, we learn that Ion is out of commission, and during this intermission, the staff seem to be trying to call off the show since they're out of star. And then um, Zenigawa walks in and goes, nah, we, we got this covered. And the plan is to now send Fujiko in as Ion, dress her in a fake mask to complete the attire and not give away um, to the ghost. Um, to lure Lupin, who Zenigawa believes is said ghost, um, into a trap. Um, Zenigawa then gropes Fujiko because, of course, and comments, you know, oh, a cheap ride, was I? And then why do you keep uh, grabbing me like a prize pony? Which is two references before, during the beginning scene where um, Zenigawa makes those comments before. And then... Um, Zenigawa goes, oh, don't worry. She's a great act- uh, great actress. Uh, she's convincing enough to to fake an orgasm because, you know, of course we're going to continue with this and the like, and I believe she gets groped again here. Again, I love these two just absolutely talking shit but not hiding. Oh, yeah, we fucked. Because she's not ashamed of it. It was her plan, and he's not ashamed of it because he's not letting her have that power. Yeah, but like, I, I the the thing that makes this gross to me, or at least like it casts a lot of this in a bad light, is that you know, I mean, obviously, the groping bad. We did we don't need to harp on that. But she doesn't even get off on this, right? Like she's faking it. It's all part of the act. Like it kind of cuts against the argument to say that. Oh, she's she at least gets some enjoyment out of what she's doing. You know, when when she seduces somebody like there's a little bit of uh, oh, well, she's you know, she's a masochist. She does this on purpose. And to me, it kind of hurts that angle to say that, like, well, she well, she's not actually just faking it. She's not even having a good time. So I kind of agree with that. I see that. I also kind of wonder, like, if that's not even the part that that she enjoys because I think the opening or how I tend to read it is like the whole like game itself of the thievery is what right is what, you know, does it for her. And so like everything to help push that forward, you know, isn't, isn't the specific stuff that, that it is. I, I've been reading it as like kind of like the other more masochist side of like the Lupin coin who like Lupin's in for it for the game where mm. Fujiko is in it for the results. Yeah. And it for a result or like the, the thrill of it, the, the need of needing to do it, you know, possibly that, you know, this, this is what, you know, lets me have feelings or whatever. Um, I mean, obviously this is all still bad. I feel like it's, it's almost there though. I feel like there are small adjustments 
that could have been done to have this work better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, the thing that kind of underlines it too, is just all the characters that are basically calling her garbage because of what she, you know, because of her sleeping around, uh, especially Oscar later here. Uh, like, I'm just thinking of that galaxy brain meme, but the last one is, uh, you know, not letting her come until she finishes the heist. <laughs> <laughs> That's just kind of the vibe I'm getting here. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I I read this as I guarantee Fujiko fucks, but also I think she's absolutely gonna put on a show when she's trying to fuck for power to get one over on someone. Yeah. She's not right. giving her A game to Officer no. Zenigata in the interrogation room. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's completely fair. I mean, who would? Yeah. I mean, Oscar would. But besides Oscar, who would? Yes. So meanwhile, amidst the crew, a totally not Lupin walks in with a flower hat that's for Ion's next costume change. Hmm. Uh, Zenigata and Oscar are waiting for the end of the act when Ion, who's supposedly on stage, has to drop down via the stage elevator. But something goes wrong and she is dropped early directly into a cage. As the cops head downstairs, they're suddenly distracted by Ion in a flower hat reappearing on the stage. Meanwhile, under the stage, a note tells Fujiko to go to the fifth spike mark on the right. And she puts it together that Ion has been in on this whole show somehow. The note isn't for her. It was for Ion, whoever's playing Ion, in the last act, so she could be in the right position to avoid getting hit by the light falling from the rafters. And then we hear the carpenter's voice from beneath the mask, as he says that Ion is his. But Lupin just pops out openly at this point, goes, Sorry, pal. You can't have her. Lupin, you see, has set the bees loose inside the building to swarm Singer and Ghost both. Uh, mm-hmm. The audience panicking as they come in through the balconies from above is pretty good. I mean, and this is the perfect place to put in the, the bees, the Wicker Man, yeah. the Wicker Man. Yeah, we're all <laughs> thinking it. We're all thinking it. <laughs> but in her panic, Ion removes the mask, and Lupin reveals that the flower hat has a device in it to summon the bees, which, that's why the flowers, because he's being incredibly cute. Mm -hmm. But this also reveals Ion isn't Ion. It is Nora, an undisfigured prop mistress who worked at the palace years ago. She then blows it for Dorenzo, the carpenter, by talking to him by name, outing them both on stage. And Lupin just tries to bungee jump in from the rafters and grab his prize. Or he tries at least. Um, he misses as Dorenzo grabs it away. And then uh, Zenigawa, isn't it Oscar that shoots uh, Lupin's wire? I thought it was um, uh, Oscar that did it. One of them shoots the wire. One of the cops yeah. shoots the wire. One of, one of them shoot, shoot the wire down. And um, Oscar and Zenigawa split up to pursue to pursue both parties. Zenigawa, of course, going after Lupin and Oscar going after Dorenzo. Um, Oscar runs in to Fujiko uh, during this chase, which is now in uh, the aqueduct. And Oscar's just like the absolute worst. 
and a real piece of shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Calling first calling uh, Fujiko pig lady, which she objects to. But then later on follows it up with a um, spittoon for male lust, which like great job, Oscar, you fucking piece of shit. And well, he will always refer to her as either pig lady or spittoon for the rest of the episode. Yeah. And in, in another Ugh. thanks, I hate it. Ugh. So here, I guess, is probably a good point to call out that Oscar is very much um, gay for Zanagawa. And in this light, a lot of early appearances and this loathing of Fujiko's take uh, could be taken in a different tone. Yeah, they they get more overt with it by the end of the series. But yes, he is quite into his boss. He is quite gay for Zenigata. And that is a huge part of why he is just going hard on her this whole time. Do you know who doesn't get to fuck Senegata in the interrogation room? Oscar. Yep. Yep. (sighs) Maybe he should try stealing something first. Hmm. There we go. That's how you do it. (laughs) Or or just like catch catch Lupin. Just do do the thing. Uh huh. Uh, Make it. No, no, no. The way to catch Lupin. If Senegata (laughs) knew what was up, he'd just be like, Oscar, like, look. I'd give you a good time if you gave me Lupin. How about that? <laughs> it would happen overnight. <laughs> Meanwhile, Zenigata and Lupin meet backstage, clearly not in any sexual situation, just to be clear. And Zenigata doesn't care about the mask. He just wants Lupin and starts shooting. He puts a bullet hole through Lupin's tie. And Zenigata says, the very blood in my vein cries out. To stamp out the entire line of Lupin. Underground, Fujiko wanders into the minimum remnants of the river, which was named for, uh, is it Leth? Lethe? Leth? Leth. It's Greek. You shouldn't, you've probably heard of it. Uh, The Greek river of oblivion in the afterlife that erases uh, all your memories when you uh, she looks into her reflection and suddenly we get a very psychedelic storybook flashback as images pop up over her and this is extremely Alice in Wonderland to me like that's the vibe I got from this and the the picture of her as the little girl here is on like the back of the blu-ray and I was extremely confused by it because I'm like who the hell is that (laughs) Yep. Yeah, we just have this uh, roughly 10 to 15 second sequence where she is asleep on a chaise lounge. A harlequin mask is on the floor, which is covered in flowers. A highly stylized owl is on the wall over her. Alice in Wonderland like fish leave a mirror at her side. Birds in the same sort of stamped in a Victorian book are drawn in the air. And we see her younger self open her mouth as odd tones come out before she swallows a butterfly. Then we snap back to reality where Fujiko is just staring down as a fish leaps out at her feet. Please note all of this down for later. It will be on the test. Will it? Hell yeah. Backstory. Yes. Oh no. Overarching plots. Before any of us can react, someone grabs her by the throat from behind. Backstage, the chase continues, and Lupin responds, It's blood you want, isn't it? And then he's shot. 
Um, but he turns around and begins letting out a torrent of blood all over Zenigawa's face. Um, it turns out it is chili sauce mixed with red wine, and Lupin Gross. is pumping it out himself right over Zenigawa, which, first of all, it definitely looks like he definitely got shot in like a yeah. place where like skin and bones would be. Um, but I, I guess I guess code is magic, and uh, also ouch for hot sauce in the eye. Yup. Uh-huh. He gets completely doused in it, like so bad that <laughs> that, that it fools Oscar to thinking that yeah. apparently Zenigata just got turned into a blood sausage and exploded. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, after this, Lupin then like starts to run away, and then Oscar pops up from a trap door that just happens to be in this exact location, and then um as Matt said, he goes over and thinks Zenigawa is dead. And then um, we go back to other ground to find that the person uh, choking Fujiko is Dorenzo. Dorenzo is trying to put a final cover over this whole situation, but Ayan comes up also in ghost attire. She removes her mask and we see her scarred visage, which actually isn't that bad, all things considered. That's what I thought, uh, too. I don't know if it's yeah, the art style the- kind of failing us here or if it just isn't that bad. It's kind of hard to sell scar tissue, I think. Yeah, it's... uh, If you want a very brief other animated comparison to this, that one burned kid from Avatar, The Last Airbender, yeah, it's that same style of scar. Zuko, yep. Yeah, it just looks like a birthmark. Yeah, Yeah, but like a large one. Um, Yep. But it it turns out that Ion and Dorenzo are lovers, and they have no issue with Fujiko, so, uh, you know what? It's fine that she finds out that they've been living in secret underground together, having a nice domestic blissful, uh, you know, sewer life. This entire time, they put Nora in for Ayan, um, because Ayan ended up scarring herself. It wasn't a jealous fan or anything. Uh, she did it so that she could get away from her celebrity lifestyle, but apparently that wasn't enough. So instead, she trained her prop mistress because apparently she was also talented and also wanted to have her dream of being famous and performing on stage so it was a very like beneficial mutual uh, arrangement that they had there and so at the end of this uh like lupin also shows up and so like oh the the four of them are like okay hey you know you want to just <laughs> this gets real real weird because like, yeah, Lupin's there. He's like, hey, I want that mask, by the way. And she's like, this mask? And then just tosses it into the fire underneath uh, the pot of whatever it is, like whatever stew she's making and supposedly ruins it. I would imagine that wouldn't completely ruin the mask. It would be probably in good. Gold enough. would melt quickly. Steal it. Gold is incredibly malleable. That's true. It would it would lose shape. That's for sure. At the very least, they could possibly uh, get the gems out of it. But, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's worth a lot less now that it's been, you know, torched. And then Ayan uh, she- invites Lupin and Fujiko to have dinner with them. And Lupin's like, well, things ruined. We're already here. Sure. Why the hell not? And apparently they they had a really good old time having uh having dinner and uh we leave with a vinyl playing ion's old performances on loop yeah i I don't know i think 
I'm curious what you think, um, but it seemed like this episode left off where, like, we might actually pick up from here next time. From no memory, we do not. Okay. It just seemed like it didn't have, like, the, the like, um, Fujiko uh, running away or, you know, them parting ways or whatever. It was the f- maybe the first time that, like, it ends with kind of Fujiko and another character still doing something at the end and have not separated as of yet. So this is the end of the bottle episodes that start the show, where we're just introducing a character in profile each week. I think I mentioned this, uh, going forward, we're going to start seeing the crew interact differently. Like, next episode is Lupin, Fujiko, and Jigen all going after the same goal and how that interplay kicks off. And gotcha. so, so, yeah, we're we're into actual showtown now. Gotcha. So who who was the focus for this one? Then? The first three, I, Zenigata. I Okay, yeah, I was gonna say Zenigata. That was gonna be my guess, but that's why he gets yeah. the eye catch. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean he he caught more than the eye catch. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's that's not a that. that that, that's not an implication of, of any diseases, to be specific. <laughs> it just means he got laid. That's all I'm saying, that's just fine. to be clear. That's fine. You, you do not have to ass-cover yourself, I promise. <laughs> no, but 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 I know if Chris ever listens to this. You're asking Chris to listen to something about a woman. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just, I'm just being clear, just <laughs> putting that out there. But yeah, I guess I, I guess that gives me a little sense of things. Any other thoughts about these episodes? Oh, okay. So the going on episode I thought was pretty solid front to back. I just kind of wish she wasn't, you know, stripped at the end. But yep, at the very agreed. least, it is it is on the scale of the episodes we've seen so far. It was the most respectful to her as a person. So there's that. Um, and, I, and I think that's a pretty nice little bottle episode uh this one is like i like the all the opera stuff i do like that like the bottom line is oh this weird couple is living their lives and they're happy that's that's nice that's actually kind of a sweet little ending to this but then there's all of the groping and shit like and and all of the uh basically calling uh fujiko all sorts of manner of sexist comments (laughs) Like yeah, even just I, like calling her like a cheap ride is still like ugh, that feels gross. I agree. Uh, with that. Like, it's so again, like, is it going for that exploitation vibe? Yes, and it nails that, but it doesn't feel good that it nails that. Right. Yeah, I, I come away I I keep just feeling like it's almost close to doing what it wants to do without being like super awful. I just maybe I think for me just having a little bit more of like a background or a setup or some way to better understand what's going on in like the the thoughts and minds of the carriers to kind of put more context around the actions I think would would have it sit better with me but just right. you know having it just on face value with it, it's hard to just not be like, well, that's gross a lot of the time. Well, I mean, it's also doing that thing of like, it's clearly 
designed to titillate the viewer, right? Like the, the right. viewer's supposed to be like, ooh, she fucking. And at the same time, like demeaning her a lot and having characters treat her poorly because of those actions, which means it kind of it kind of makes the viewer complicit in it in a certain way. And right. that doesn't feel that part doesn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also, understand that like it's hard to separate those two things. Right. And I think especially in like episode four, like there's not a lot of agency going on for, for Fujiko. Like she thought she was going to get out of it from fucking Zenigawa. That didn't work. So like there's already mm-hmm. a kind of gross power stuff. And like, you know, her agency didn't, you know, was taken away even further, you know, from trying to get out of it and stuff. Um, I mean, she was literally caged in the episode at one point. Um, so I think there's just I, a lot of that, too, where like. It's trying to show like, oh, you know, she's just using this like that. That's what she's good at. That's her loop and superpower. But like, I don't think it's ever like super successfully worked in this show yet. And that's kind of I mean, bad. It, it, the only time it's worked is in episode three here, right? Like three is where it's the first time she gets a clear win, right? Right. Like she leaves with the belt. She got everything she wanted. And as far as we know, she didn't have to sleep her way to get into that situation. I, I guess we could assume that it she slept with somebody in the process. Right. But I mean, if she's going to be playing as a, a very prim and proper, you know, w- you know, person taking care of or like governess is the term they use then like that that's a little different but yeah like it's there's no point where i feel like you could walk away with a like a you know you know girl power like (laughs) you go girl you you weaponize that sexuality of yours like that's that's working out for you it's great and it's before it like yeah you're right every time it seems to backfire on her or like have other other things come come in and say like okay that wasn't really worth it i mean okay she got out of an execution in episode one i guess that counts for something (laughs) she probably could have pulled off the bit in episode one had lupin not set the whole place on edge that's true that's true that's true but also so like she it would have been well she was still would have had trouble with the leader because her drug plan didn't work out but then by the second time she comes around and expects that Sure, sure. Yeah, she just knows, oh, I'll just pull a gun on him. That works. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can't seduce my way out of this. Well, <laughs> it's like that 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 one joke from Harold and Kumar is like, bullets, my only weakness, <laughs> which is one yeah. of the few things I remember from the, those movies. So there's all that. And also, like, episode four is kind of, it, it's almost basically the setup for the casino episode two, where, like, um, Fujiko... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doesn't succeed in, you know, what she was attempting to do with. And then, you know, she has to cut a deal where her agency is taken to do something for someone else to get back the status quo. And then, like, so, like, Fujiko is supposed to be, like, this foil for Lupin, but, like, she's gotten captured, like, twice so far in this show. So, like, I feel like well, it I- isn't, it isn't, like, putting them on... I guess the equal ground I would expect a foil for Lupin to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also so far when they've both shown up, neither of them got the treasure. Like it isn't even like there's, there's a rivalry, but no one had like, there's no score at the moment. They're all both, you know, Oh, for two. 
Yeah, they're stepping on each other's toes the whole time. They're at a neutral. Right. Well, or it could be in Lupin's flavor, favor if you call Lupin somehow getting the note onto her thigh in episode two as a win for him, which he probably thinks of as. He just thinks of it as a challenge. It's not a win until he gets the win. We'll be back in two weeks with episodes five and six, and we'll ask ourselves a familiar question. Can love bloom at a girl's academy? Probably. <laughs> yup! I, I think this show is on record saying yes, so... <laughs> well, good news. You're gonna get to find out. Although, if you didn't like metaphors for a cage and Fujiko, you're probably not going to love the episode entitled <laughs> Prison of Love. Oh, no. Okay, that's that's completely different, and it could be contextualized <laughs> to be fine. It is written by Mario Kata. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right. We'll oh. see you later. Peace. Bye. <laughs>